You're listening to the Jewel City Podcast. You can join us Sundays at 10 a.m. in person or online, or Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. In this podcast, we're going through the books 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John with Linda Sims. Good evening, everyone. I'm, I'm excited about this. I, if it wasn't for anyone else, I'm learning. So did anyone not get a handout? Rob has a few extra. They were passing them out. If you didn't raise your hand, he'll get it to you. Okay. All right. Okay, so we're up. This is, uh, we're studying 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. It'll take us eight weeks. And I really did, last year I did one with Tony Evans, and I'm doing that again. Not that I'm stuck on him. I looked, but um, I really believe this is the one the Lord would have us to do tonight. So it's not that I just went back to Tony Evans. So we're going to read 1st um, John chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 2, verse 11, and I'll try to get us through it. Um, not so fast that we don't get it, but I'm not going to spin my wheels here too badly. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Of course, he's talking about Jesus, isn't he? What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that your joy may be made complete. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Verse eight, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. By this, we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I've come to know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Beloved, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. 
The one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Let me make sure I've got everything. Um, In this series, as I said, we're going to look at our relationship with God. And just like our friendships fade and the changes with life, our fellowship with the God faces challenges as well. So Dr. Evans, Tony Evans, is going to teach us how we can strengthen our relationship with God and keep it strong. In this video, it's between 9 and 11 minutes, so if you're ready to run it, I'm ready to watch it with you. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eye, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. John is the one who leaned his head on Jesus' chest and shared many intimate moments with him. So he knows about intimacy. In fact, he knows so much about intimacy, he wants us to piggyback on his experience and make it our own. And that's what we're going to talk about as we walk through this book of 1 John. So relax and get ready to get closer to your Lord and Savior, because that's exactly where the Apostle John is going to take you. All of us are aware of couples who are legally married, but not very happy being together. Or parent-child relationships that have been frayed for one reason or another. In other words, we're all aware of the fact that you can be legally related to someone without enjoying the relationship. Well, the Apostle John wrote 1 John to tell Christians how to enjoy their relationship with the living Savior. He did not want Christians to live a life not fully experiencing the eternal life that they possess. There's a lot of confusion about 1 John, thinking that the purpose of it is to help people know whether they're really saved. No, John tells them that they're little children. They already belong to the family of God. But he also understands that you can be in the family and not enjoying family life. And so he writes, he says, that the joy that the apostles possessed might be experienced by this next generation and all the generations of believers after that, that's you and me, the same way the disciples and the apostles experienced it when they walked with the Lord physically on earth. That's why in the first four verses, he says, the things we have seen and heard, verse three, we're telling you so that our joy may be complete because we're sharing what excites us with you so you can get excited too. But now to experience this life that every believer possesses, certain things must be in place. The first thing he says is you have to understand something about God. He says in verse five, God is light. Light is a revealer. Light reveals things as they really are. He goes on to say in verse five, and in God there is no darkness at all, not even a shadow. In other words, God only deals in reality. He wouldn't know how to deal in that which is not true and real 
and authentic. So he's challenging believers today to walk in the light of who God is and what God says. Anything outside of that is to walk in darkness. So it's possible to walk away from the light. Now, I know many of us have had the experience, like me, of getting up in the middle of the night and uh, not turning on the light, assuming we know which way to go to get around the bed, to work our way to the restroom or whatever. And so we walk in darkness because we think we know how to do it. And just as we turn that corner, a little pinky toe hits the edge of the bed, creating havoc in the room because we misjudge what we thought we knew. So it is with God. God knows where all the crevices are, all the turns in life are. And he wants you to walk in light of who he is and what he says, not what you think and what everybody else is saying. God is light. In verse seven, he tells you that if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship because that's the theme of the epistle, with one another, and watch this, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. You would have thought he would have said that if we're walking in the light, we're not sinning. That's not what he says. He says when you're walking in the light, the fellowship with God is there, and the blood of Jesus Christ is cleaning you up while you're walking in the light. What is he cleaning us up from? He's cleaning us up from the sin he reveals because we're in the light to see it. You see, when you're walking in darkness, you're not seeing things as they really are. But when you're walking in the light, you see the impediments, you see the things in the middle of the floor because your eyes are open to reality. If you walk in light of who God is and what God says, you're living your life in reality. And therefore, there is this cleansing that takes place. How? He says, because if we confess our sins, verse nine, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you see the sin and you address it as sin, then he not only forgives you for the sin you saw, he forgives you for the sins you missed, skipped, or forgot. If you confess the sins you do know, he'll take care of the ones you don't even know about because he's desperately desiring to have fellowship with his children. Now this walking in the light must be then connected with something else. It must be then connected with obedience. He says in verse four of chapter two, the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has been perfected. In other words, matured, growing to the next level. When you see sin, when you address sin, because you've confessed it, and then when you walk in the right way, because you're now walking in the light, you're growing in your experience of God. Many believers are not growing in their experience of God. They may know they're on their way to heaven, but they're not experiencing his reality on earth because they either don't walk in the light 
or if they walk in the light and now have the sin revealed, they do not obey the truth and now walk in rightness. And when you do that, you are ignoring the light. So that's like saying, God, I saw what you showed. Um, you know, I know it's right, but you know, I'm still gonna go my own way. So that's deliberate disobedience and deliberate disobedience breaks fellowship and you will not mature in your experience of God. But then he gives you another ingredient or context for intimate fellowship with God, experiencing your sainthood, the sainthood that you possess if you have faith alone in Christ alone for the gift of eternal life. Because he says, beloved, I'm writing a new commandment to you in verse seven, but an old commandment which you have heard from the beginning. And here it is. I'm writing this new commandment which is true in him and in you. And this true commandment is that you love your brother. God is a relational love. We see throughout the book of John, God is love. That can only be said about our God because he's never been alone. Remember the definition of love. Remember this definition. Love means the decision to compassionately and responsibly pursue the well-being of another. If you are self-centered, self-oriented, if you just want God to flow to you, but not flow through you, then you're not a loving Christian. And you're pretending like you're an only child. And no, it's not just your daddy who art in heaven, it's our father who art in heaven. You're not an only child. So God will only flow his love to and through you to the degree he knows that it will pass on to benefit others. And so when you walk in the light and confess sin that the light reveals, leading to obedience, causing you to not be self-centered and love others, you have opened up the floodgates to the experience of God's reality operating in your life. Don't be like the married couple or the separated family who have a legal relationship but not enjoying one many of it because they're at odds with one another. God has reconciled the world to himself. Those who've trusted Christ have been legally justified, reconciled to God, but he wants us to enjoy the relationship. He wants us to be friends with him. If you will follow the instructions of the Apostle John in the epistle of 1 John to pursue intimate fellowship with God by recognizing he's the light, confessing anything that the light reveals that's wrong, then moving in the right way while loving God's other family members, you have set yourself up for deepening your experience of God's reality at work in your life. Good, isn't it? He introduced 1 John by acknowledging some of the things you might have already thought to be the focus of John. What, what did he say was the popular thought of the focus of John? Do you remember? It was, yeah, how to be saved, to help people know that they are really saved. But he said that's, he's proposing a different perception. And here it is. Since it's written to little children, Tony said, those already in the family, its purpose is to tell us 
how to enjoy our relationship with our living Savior. And that was new to me. That was new. That was one of the things. The Apostle John wrote this first letter with a specific goal. What was it? It's found in 1 John 1, verses 3 and 4, that our joy might be full. We would learn how to enjoy our relationship with God through Jesus, that our joy would be full. Now, in your experience, what does enjoying your relationship with God look like, look like in your life or in others' lives? Joy, being joyful. I wrote that down for me. The joy, peace. When I get in the Lord's presence, I really don't want to leave it. Sometimes there's tears, not always. Often there's tears of both joy, gratitude, some repentance, because he shows me things. And there's a longing in my heart. There's just a longing. Uh, Psalm 42, verses 1, and the first part of verse 2 says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my... So my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and his song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. And that's found in verse 8. A friend of mine does two-way journaling where she stops and listens and hears, just listens and waits on the Lord to see what he might be speaking to her. And she writes it down. And I want to be more become more experienced in talking with him that way about everything. So those are some of the ways that it looks for me. What's attractive about a Christian who truly enjoys Jesus? They're fun to be around. They're encouraging. I put, these were my thoughts. They love him and others, and you see it, don't you? They're not focused on themselves, and they're full of joy. You said that. They smile. They're encouraging. They care about people, and they share him. And guess what? They have hope, don't they? And the world is desperately looking for hope. What, if any, obstacles do you perceive in finding that kind of enjoyment with Jesus? Sometimes we have feelings of obligation. I mean, we don't, we don't come because we really want to be with him. We come because we're supposed to want to be with him. Anyone else ever do that? I mean, yeah. I've done that. I don't like it. It doesn't feel good. It's dead, isn't it? Or guilt. We feel like, uh-oh, I've done something. I need to, need to be with the Lord. Or maybe we've failed at something. Or just tired, overtired, overbusy. And so those kinds of things kind of get in the way. And there's probably many other things. But those are a few of the things that get in the way with the enjoyment we might find with Jesus. Now, John sang that very same joy that he and the disciples had living with Jesus can be ours. Did that sound strange to you? Tony pointed out that John personally experienced a relationship with Jesus. I mean, he's the one who laid his head on Jesus' breast, didn't he? If we're honest with ourselves, it might be hard to believe that we can experience a thriving relationship with someone we can't see, touch, or hear. But John believes it's possible. And in order to dig into how to have a joy-filled and thriving relationship with God through Jesus, Tony looked at verse 5. So let's look at that. We're supposed to read five verses here. This is verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is 
light. And in him, there's no darkness at all. So if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in the darkness, this word says we're lying and we're not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we not only have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. And it goes on to say, if we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, though, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yet if we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So let's look at something. You know, that verse nine up there, I used to, I used to think that was a verse about salvation. And it's true, if we confess our sin, he forgives us. But in the context here, it's talking about believers, not the world. It's talking about us. It's talking about us. So what metaphor does John use to describe God? And I've punched the button too fast. Our relation to him, he's light. And what did Tony say about that light? Yeah. <laughs> he is the light of the world. What did, what did he say? Um, Tony unpacked what John is trying to get at but dis, by describing God as light. Uh, he sets up a choice for believers. What, do you remember what the choice well, let's do this one first. What was the main idea behind God being light, according to Tony? It's authentic and true. It's authentic and true. And he talked about... And you won't stub your toe. Because <laughs> when, you, when you're in, in the darkness, you really don't... You don't see everything. I mean... It's dangerous to be in the dark. It's dangerous to be in the dark. But light is a revealer. That's... That's the thing that stuck out to me. Light is a revealer. It shows everything that's there. And God is a revealer. So when we're walking in the light, he's going to show us things. I might do the right thing, but I might have the wrong motive or even the wrong attitude when I do it. And you might not see it, you know, but God does. And if I'm walking in the light, I'll see it too. Okay, here's the choice for believers. There's the light and the darkness. And we can walk in the light where God dwells or, now this is for us as believers, or we can walk in the darkness. Now in the light, when we think about walking in the light, that might lead us to feel that John is asking us to live perfectly with not even a shadow. Has anyone ever thought that? That's, that's not what he's saying though. What he's saying is when you are walking in the light, you have fellowship with God. The blood of Jesus is cleaning you up while you're walking in the light. That's what it says. What difference does it make in your perspective of life to know that God doesn't expect you to be perfect? Does it make a difference? I've been accused of being a perfectionist. And there is a verse in the Bible. Here it is. It says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Doesn't it say that? But he's not... What that word perfect means, it means having reached its end, complete and mature. It doesn't mean without mistakes. It means complete, mature. And, and so that's in this verse, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble on what he says, he is a perfect man. He's complete. He's, he's complete. So 
he doesn't expect us to be without sin or without making mistakes because we just read we all sin, don't we? All right, let's look at this next one. How might knowing that he's not asking us to never to be he's not asking us to be perfect without making mistakes, without sinning. How might that change the way we envision our Christian walk and why? Well, here's what I said. This means to me that I'm freed from trying to live sinlessly without sin because I'm not going to accomplish that. But I can live honestly. When the Lord shows me, I can quickly agree with him. And that's, that's what John is saying here. We walk in the light. He's going to reveal things to us. And the more he reveals and the quicker we agree with him and confess it, we're walking in the light and he's cleaning us up and removing us and we become more and more like him. So we won't live sinlessly, but we'll live sinning less. Right? Right. And I think our pastor is a great example of this, teaching us to walk honestly. I do. I've seen it in so many messages. You know, don't look down at me with your long, <laughs> your long nose. And yep, here, let's read the next section, four more verses. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I like that, all unrighteousness. If we say that we've not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Let me see here. I'm trying to catch up with where I am. So consider 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In the past, what has this passage meant to you? What did you think it was asking you to do? Yep, confess our sin when we mess up. And I thought, I, I honestly thought it applied to the point when you come at salvation. What kind of cause and effect relationship do the two components have, confession and forgiveness, or lies and darkness? Okay, I'm going, to I'm going to read here too what Tony said in the leader's guide. It would be easy, when we read this verse in particular, to come away believing that it's saying we can never experience forgiveness if we don't confess our sins. And we could very easily end up thinking that John has in mind a confessional booth. But that's not what's going on in the context of this passage. Tony pointed out that walking in the light means our sin will be regularly revealed. The natural next question that John's audience would ask, how do we get rid of that sin? How do we stay in the light? Well, I think we've talked about that, don't we? How do we stay in the light? Here we go. He's promising something, isn't he? He's not showing us a method. He's making a promise. If we confess, we agree with him, 
He cleanses us. He forgives us. He promises to always forgive. When, when, the lot, when he reveals a sin, we immediately agree he promises to forgive. And he cleanses us. Which the enemy comes along and whispers, you might have confessed that one, but you did this. And, and it, the Lord is, loves us so much and wants fellowship with us so very much. If we just agree with what he reveals to us, he takes care of the rest of it. The blood, the blood covers. Blood covers. covers. Not just a portion, but the blood covers. So that means everything. Yes, all. It, it does. And we're supposed to read verses 8 to 10 again. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us and to cleanse us from all, all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, this verse may seem a little strange. John says that if we persist in claiming our sins aren't sins, we make God into a liar. And um, I, I once had um, someone, um, their denominator, who, who well, I think it was a teacher, and it was at the end of the year and I was doing uh, staff evaluations. And, and she told me, I asked what I, you know, what, how I could help more or improve. Or, she told me, she said, my denomination believes that once you come to Christ, you never sin again. Yeah. She, that's not what the word says, is it? That's why we're split. <laughs> but, but, um, so, and... And she, took, and she took issue with that because when, with the kids, you know, we would always give people an opportunity when we had a lesson to make things right with the Lord. You know, if the Lord's talking to you about something, then you talk to him about it. So, um, because the point I'm trying to get to, when we confess sin, we, we have to actually agree that what we're doing, we're thinking or believing is actually sin. We can't say, oh, that's just a little something it's little and God doesn't care. If he reveals it, whether we think it's little or what we would call a big sin, sin is sin, isn't it? But it's a promise. We just, we just have to settle in our heart, first of all, that is sin or we're making God out to be a liar. We have to, we have to settle that in our heart because the word says every one of us in here have sinned or are sinning, or have done something. But as we get become more and more like him, as we walk in the light, we'll sin less. We won't be sinless, but we will sin less time. Okay, so let me see, do I have any? And I think I already talked about why you think he makes that argument. And now here's a peek at the Greek, and I am not gonna pretend that I know how to pronounce that, homologio or something. That's translated as confess. I'm broken down. Just what we said. It, it means to speak the same, to be of one mind. That's what confession is. It's agreeing with what the Lord says about something. So we think, tend to think of confession as just saying, yes, I was wrong. But this word takes the idea further. As God's light reveals the truth of our lives, our true selves are laid bare 
And then when that happens, what do we do? Do we call it sin by its name? And confess means to speak the same as God. It's to agree with him both in word and in action about what is wicked and what is true. And when we are of one mind with God's ways, we experience his forgiveness and the cleansing. That's the promise. What's the hardest part of admitting your sinfulness in your experience? What's the hardest part? Admitting that I'm not perfect. <laughs> Admitting that I'm not perfect. There is freedom in that. Um, I put pride, which is you are not perfect, disappointment in self. How could I have done that, you know? Sometimes you just don't want to admit that you could have done that, but I did it. How do we overcome the fear of confession? What makes it easier and what makes it harder? Could you all hear that? He's a God of love, and he, he shows us that because he loves us so much. As a father or a mother, we correct our children. Why? Because we love them. And we want other people to love them too. <laughs> we do. <laughs> we would. So, but God does the same with us. Uh, and I, I said here, I think of the scriptures, you know, when I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive me. And the Lord's loving kindness never ceases. It never fails. He's always faithful. He who began a good work in me will complete it. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. And uh, what makes it harder? Probably, for me, the consequences. You know, God forgives, but sometimes there's consequences there no matter, no matter what. What dif difference does it make that he's not talking about unbelieving people who say they don't have sin? John wants us to have fellowship with him. Remember, that's, this whole thing is about having fellowship with the Lord, strengthening our relationship with him. And the, the thing that gets in the way of that the most is sin. That's what breaks our fellowship with him. Why is denying that we have sin a lie? You lie to yourself? Yeah. Yep. We all sin. Period. We're as blind as walking in darkness if we say anything else. Let's think about our daily in and out things of our life. Um, we, I talked about this a little bit. I got ahead of myself. I think the temptation is to minimize things, things that we do and say that the little things God kind of winks at and he, you know, but that's not true, is it? So are they big? Are they little? A sin is sin, isn't it? Yeah, I, over, I overeat. That's, <laughs> whoops. <laughs> that, that, what's that, the sin of gluttony? I, I overeat. If, we if we're to take John at his word, what is true about our hearts if we pretend that even the little sins don't matter? I heard someone say, saying a liar. Yeah, we're deceiving ourselves, aren't we? We're, we're telling ourselves lies. Well, we've got lots of voices. The voice that will help us see the truth is the word, isn't it? Okay, let's look at the second chapter.
Uh, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the whole world. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected or completed or matured. By this, we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. What does John clarify in this passage? Does our sin separate us permanently from God? It can if we don't confess. No because we're a believer, but it's, it's, it um, breaks our fellowship, but not permanently. We're still his little child if we've received him as Christ. Right? Right? What does unconfessed sin do then? What does it do? It separates us from him. That's right. Causes a rift in our relationship with God and keeps us from knowing him. And that's what this chapter is about. It's our fellowship with him, strengthening our relationship with the Lord. And I'll, I added this. It shipwrecks our faith. That's what I was thinking. It makes all the fellows in the boat. It sinks the boat. It, it... We, we want to pray for someone or believe for something, the Lord for something. And all the time we're thinking of that thing that separated us from the Lord. And it's hard to exercise our faith because of that. Where would you put yourself on your walk with God? This is a question for you. Moving away from him? Or growing in maturity and your experience of him? And you see the light, the light on the arrow? Mm -hmm. You don't have to answer that out loud. You can do that yourself. So he talks about he's not writing a new commandment and an old commandment. And then he says, it's a new commandment. I think because darkness is passing away and the light's already shining. The one who says he's in the light and yet hates his brother. Now we're going to talk about a relationship with each other. The one who loves his brother abides in the light. There's no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. What is the old commandment? that he's reiterating for us. What do you think it is? It's loving one another. It's loving one another. And we're talking about loving believers. So let's look at loving God's people. Here's John from John chapter 13. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What does our love for fellow believers accomplish? A bond of unity. A bond of unity. What does it tell the world? It shows we're his disciples, doesn't it? Here's another one, Philippians. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is a consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion... Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit. We talked about that intent on one purpose. Do nothing 
from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And then here in James, my brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in this good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of them says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. What are we sacrificing or risking and caring for each other according to these passages. We're trying to be disciples. Does it cost us anything? Is there any risk to us? What we're risking is we, we no longer can just satisfy ourselves or advance ourselves. We gotta be looking out for each other, don't we? So what does our behavior toward our fellow believers say about our faith? Everything. Joyce says everything. everything. Tells us if our faith is a living faith or a dead one, doesn't it? Based on these passages, what importance would you say God places on his children loving each other? High one, yeah. It's the second greatest command, isn't it? First one was love God, second one's love each other. What would it communicate to the world if we lived in keeping with these verses? I, I, this was my thought. It would say to the world, God is real. His love is real, and God loves me, and God loves you. Tony defined love as the decision to compassionately and responsibly pursue the well-being of another. Does that square with your understanding of love? And it ought to be stronger it should be. Okay, and then this question, how is love as it's laid out in this chapter different from the world's picture of love? And are there any similarities between Tony's definition and love that the world presents? Well, here are my thoughts, and I didn't put them up. And you can agree or disagree. The world's picture of love is something you receive from someone else. Love is something you get, and it's also a feeling generated in the one being loved. We often love those who love us. And romantic love is viewed as an emotional experience. The world tells us we must agree with someone, and if we are not tolerant of their views, we are not loving them. <laughs> Isn't that what we hear? The Bible tells us that if we love someone, we will speak the truth in love. 
We won't sit silently if we know that their views are taking them to hell. The world, however, will often view that as an act of hatred and intolerance. I also thought doing acts of love produces love for others in us. Sometimes you have to do the, uh, we had someone that hurt us once and the Lord told us to take groceries to them. And oh, it made, it just released us. We were able to love them, even though they had done something to hurt. So, so by doing the action of love, it produced love. Feel, the feelings followed the action, is what I'm trying to say. So, and that is counter to the world's view, isn't it? There's some, there's some likenesses, but there's some differences. Okay. John sets up love and hate as light and darkness, which, I mean, that's what he, he calls it. It's a, it's a light and a darkness issue. Can a believer hate his or her brother or sister and still be walking in the light? Nope. You're right. We can't. Why does hate for a fellow believer separate us from fellowship with God? what John calls plunging into darkness. Why does that separate us? He commands us to love one another. He commands us to love one another. And he is love, isn't he? How can we be part of him if we're not, we're not living in truth? You're right. How does John's command to love our fellow believers sit with you? What have you found difficult about loving God's people? And what has come easy? Sometimes... Believers are difficult to love. <laughs> I, when I started in, I want to love everyone, and I, and I know I should, but sometimes it's hard. It just is hard. And um, when I started into Christian education years ago, they told me the hardest people to work with are Christians. <laughs> and sometimes we are difficult. I mean, I can be difficult so, because we all have faults and we all have fail, failures. And we rub each other the wrong way. And the scripture says, iron sharpens iron. And we rub against each other and we rub off those rough edges. But sometimes that does not feel good <laughs> at all. Sometimes it's hard. And it costs us something some, to love other people. It does. But it's God's way. And there's such joy in it. And if we want to have fellowship with him, we're learning two things tonight. Walk in the light. He revealed what we do wrong, confess it, and love each other, even through the difficult times. So I know our church, I mean, this church does a lot to love on people. I've seen it. What kind of impact would it have on our church if everyone did the two things? What, would it, what impact would it have on us here if we did those two things? Would, would it have an impact? We would, we would grow out of here. The two things were acknowledge sin and confess it and love each other unconditionally. It would draw people to him because why? It's glorifying God. What obstacles stand in the way for us personally? And what about for our church? You know, I think sometimes we just don't know each other real well either. And I think that's what the life groups are about is really, I mean, because we're big. And there's, I mean, on a Sunday morning, 600 to 900 people in here. And I know a few of you, but I don't know all of you. And some of you that I know a little bit, I, don't, I just know a little bit about you. So I think one of the things that hinders is we really just don't know each other. And then sometimes 
we don't know what someone else needs. I mean, I think the staff does a good job of trying to tell, you know, hey, this, we, this person's hurting and they need this and they need reached out to. And I know when I had my surgery, people brought me food and there were people who didn't know me. And I was so grateful for that. But the, those, are, those are obstacles. Sometimes size is an obstacle. And so the life groups are trying to help with that so we can get to know each other and minister one-on-one and talk about things. Um, sometimes it's our time. Our culture keeps us so busy. I mean, just running here and running there and doing this and doing that. And sometimes good things get in the way of best things. So here's the next, we're about to the end. What one step could we take this week to move toward the light and out of the darkness? Love on someone, love on someone. And how could we help each other accomplish that one step? Can we help each other do that? Encourage someone, pray for someone. Stop, talk to someone you don't know on the way out. Okay, you've got handouts. I would encourage you, I'm not gonna read this one to you. Um, That's on your handout, this last word. And it's just kind of summarizing what we talked about tonight. Um, God's not asking for protection, perfection. He's asking for honesty. And here's some live it it outs. It's on your sheet too. And I think these are really good. Uh, There's a, a verse to memorize each week and um, write out a letter yourself, pray, memorize. Just, I mean, it's a good way to practically apply. We've heard tonight, now we need to do what we've heard. And so here's some ways we can begin to do what we've heard tonight. And this is the verse for this week. And some of you may already know it. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So thank you for your kind attention tonight. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Jewel City Podcast.